Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Water is a scarce resource in Arizona, but it's even harder to access for the state's tribes and their citizens. That's because the state makes it harder for tribes to negotiate water rights deals than other entities. The bar is set considerably higher than what neighboring states do. Those are some of the details reported by ProPublica and High Country News. We'll hear from some of those involved in the project coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm says she considers tribal governments huge allies in the Biden administration's efforts to develop cleaner forms of energy and cut carbon dioxide emissions. Chuck Kornbach of station WUWM reports on her visit to a Forest County Potawatomi property in Milwaukee. The energy secretary viewed a solar farm and an energy-efficient data center, the Forest County Potawatomi, opened a decade ago. She also heard about efforts to renovate older buildings to reduce their carbon footprint. Then Granholm spoke to a group of children and tribal leaders. So appreciate the emphasis on being one with this planet, with our land, our water, and our air. Granholm told news reporters that she's trying to help President Biden get to his goal of 100% clean electricity by 2035 and net zero carbon pollution by 2050. The tribal governments across the nation are huge allies for us in making that happen. They're sovereign governments. They also can take advantage of some of the incentives that have been passed in this Invest in America agenda. Forest County Potawatomi Vice Chairwoman Heather Van Zyl says that in a private meeting with tribal leaders, Granholm mentioned clean energy tax credits in the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act. Van Zyl says those credits are interesting and that the tribe has already applied for clean energy and conservation grants. It's a long-standing importance to the tribe due to the fact that we as Anishinaabe people are all about preserving and protecting our land, our water, and our natural resources. During Secretary Granholm's visit to Milwaukee, she also announced the release of $77 million to improve the nation's electrical grid in seven states. Tribes in Louisiana, California, and Connecticut will receive about $1.3 million of those funds. I'm Chuck Quirnbach. The governments of Canada and Ontario have reached a proposed settlement with 21 First Nations in Ontario. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, it would be for $10 billion. The Robinson-Huron Treaty Litigation Fund represents the 21 Robinson-Huron First Nations, mostly in northeastern Ontario along the shores of Lake Huron. The First Nations went to court more than 10 years ago, claiming governments failed to increase annuities payments as the resource revenue in the treaty territory increased. Instead, the parties met at the negotiating table to reach a proposed settlement. Tears of joy and um, my heart is, uh, is lighter today. That's Chief Dean Sayers of the Batchewana First Nation. He says under an 1850 treaty, the collective annuity to the First Nations from resource revenues should have increased as those revenues increased, but they were bumped only once in 1875 from $1.70 a person to $4 a person and didn't change since. 
Now the Ontario government and the Canadian government will each pay $5 billion. Sayer says now the First Nations will decide what's next and what to do with the money, and for that they will engage their members. There will be community meetings, there will be um, individual interviews, questionnaires in regards to how we might move forward. The new money for resource sharing and annuities will be negotiated after the compensation agreement is finalized. Other chiefs call the proposed deal a major milestone and a chance to renew the treaty relationship. When the settlement is approved, each of the 21 First Nations will get a share based on a distribution agreement. That agreement will not be final until approved by all parties and by the courts. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. Water is scarce in Arizona, even more so after long-term drought drew down reservoirs that keep a waterway system flowing for tens of millions of people. But water access for the state's 22 federally recognized tribes is even more precarious. Nearly half of the tribes are not able to reach agreements with the state for water rights. Others aren't even trying. Why? Because a new report says Arizona insists on onerous demands when negotiating with tribes more onerous even than its equally parched neighboring states. These revelations were recently uncovered by the news organizations ProPublica and High Country News. As you can imagine, the inability to finalize water agreements has serious implications. We'll hear about some of those this hour. Please join the conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first is Mark Olalde. He is a reporter for ProPublica, covering the Southwest from Phoenix, Arizona. Mark, thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. Also joining us is Omar Farouk. He is a reporter for ProPublica, and he's based in New York City. Omar, welcome to Native America Calling as well. Thank you. Joining us from Fort Defiance, Arizona, is Jason John. He is the director of the Navajo Department of Water Resources, and he is Navajo. Jason, welcome to Native America Calling. Good morning. And also joining us in Arizona from Tucson is Dr. Andrew Curley. He is an assistant professor in the School of Geography, Development, and Environment at the University of Arizona. He is Dene. Andrew, welcome back to our show. Thank you. Well, Mark, I'm going to go ahead and start with you today, and please tell us, what drew you and uh, Omar to this story about tribes struggling to reach water agreements with the state of Arizona? 
Well, I think we've, um, you know, we've had this outstanding question of the U.S. Supreme Court back in 1908 said that uh, tribes have a right to the water necessary to kind of make a uh, quote, unquote, unquote, permanent homeland on the reservations. And it's now 115 years later. Um, you know, these, these rights have not yet been quantified. These rights have not yet been settled. These uh, tribes do not yet have access to the water that was, you know, supposedly guaranteed, um, you know, more than a century ago. And it's kind of been an open secret in the Colorado River community that the state of Arizona uh, has really pushed tribes to, to kind of use this process as a way of getting sometimes totally unrelated uh, concessions unrelated to water kind of concessions from tribes to, um, you know, in the course of settling these rights. So we wanted to answer kind of two main questions. First, why more than a century after this, this thing was guaranteed, you know, why are these rights not been, been quantified, settled, and the water handed over? And secondly, what, why, why was Arizona, why was it known that Arizona was, was acting this way and kind of what were their incentives for being uh, so much more difficult to deal with than the rest of the states in the Colorado River Basin? Now, you start off your article with a, a really dramatic example of what this lack of water on the Navajo Nation means for its citizens. It involves a medical center there on the reservation. Can you tell us what happened there? Absolutely. Uh, Umar actually did the reporting from, from Dilkons. Umar, why don't you uh, walk through what you saw? There's a There's a big need for uh, um, medical care in, in that area around Dilkan. Um, it's kind of a rural area um, and folks have to fo folks have to go usually down to Winslow, I think, to, to see a lot of the doctors that they would need to see. Um, so this big medical center um, was there and it, you know, it's, it's been there for, for a while. It's been constructed and ready to go. Um, and we talked to uh, folks in, in the Navajo government, we talked to some local families there, and they all seemed to mention that, hey, you know, you should look into this hospital. And, you know, um, it turns out that the hospital is delayed because um, some of the water that was originally supposed to be used for it turned out to be too too brackish and too salty. Um, and as a result, like the Navajo Nation and, and folks kind of working on, on the medical center have looked for other sources, and, and now they have to also look for kind of maybe water treatment um, to, to make water available for that medical center. Okay. But as it stands now, that medical center is not open because the Navajo Nation can't get the water to do that. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's correct. Um, because the lack of, you know, clean water has delayed the project. They have to come up with other ways to provide water. Okay. So those people then, they can't use that facility. They're still traveling. They're still having to go out of their way to seek medical care. Any updates as to when that issue might be resolved and they'll get their water and be able to open that brand-new facility? Um, I think, like, you know, the, there was a there's a soft opening that was supposed to be uh, in July, um, and in August there was supposed to be another kind of grand opening. Um but I think maybe Jason could better speak to, you know, to, to what the Navajo, Navajo tribal authorities are trying to do about that. Okay. Jason, please chime in with regard to any updates regarding the Dilkan Medical Center. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe go back in time a little bit 
to talk about the overall picture. Uh, we have need, needed a medical facility in the Delcon area for a long time. And we've been working on a water development strategy um, for various parts of the Navajo Nation for several decades. And part of that strategy was trying to meet the water needs of a lot of these communities, uh, not only in Arizona, but throughout the Navajo Nation. So we had a concept of trying to build a pipeline project from the Coconino Aquifer located in the southwest portion of Navajo uh, in the Loop area and bringing that water approximately 40, 45 miles to Delcon. Of course, we didn't have the money to do it uh, several decades ago. So it was part of our discussions about settling water rights in Arizona uh, over 15 years ago. Uh, and that um, resulted in some settlements, proposed settlements in 2010 and 2012. We thought that we could get the funding through a water rights settlement with Arizona during those times. And uh, unfortunately, due to the complex nature of those discussions with the state uh, and internally, internally within the Navajo communities, um, they were very tough discussions. Uh, we thought we could have a package that could be uh, supported in 2010, and it was the Navajo Nation government um, the Navajo Tribal Council approved uh, a settlement package in 2010 that included funding for a pipeline to Delcon mm -hmm. from the Coconino Aquifer and Loop, and also had other projects such as a Western Navajo pipeline to get water from Lake Powell uh, down to Tupa City and other communities, including the Hopi tribe. Okay. But Jason, I'm last, sorry. Yeah. I, I want to go back because at the heart of today's discussion here is this issue with the state of Arizona and how it's uh, just really making it hard for tribes in Arizona to access water. And earlier you mentioned the complex nature of these discussions with the state. Can you tell us a little bit more? I mean, why wouldn't the state work with the Navajo Nation to, to make the water available to to open this new medical center that's so desperately needed? Basically, it was too expensive. They, um, that settlement package, they said it was too expensive. These projects were too expensive. And they said, go back and come back with something smaller in terms of dollars. And uh, we did that. We came back in 2012 and we proposed a smaller settlement. Uh, but the uh, issues surrounding water and the Navajo generating station came into that discussion. And it really, um, it was like a poison pill. Um, it really didn't need to be in that discussion, but it ended up being there because Arizona wanted it in there. And our tribe ultimately rejected that settlement 
And personally, I think that was the main reason why a lot of the confusion about Navajo generating station water supply um, really did bring down that settlement at the end of the day. Uh, and of course, the funding for the Lute to Delcon water line. Since that time, uh, we've had to um, use our own Navajo Nation money to cost share with the Indian Health Service to try to build that project outside of a water rights settlement. Understand. Okay, so you mentioned earlier a poison pill. Can, can you explain that for our listeners? What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, at the time, um, back in 2012, no one foresaw the closure of Navajo Generating Station. Their lease was coming up at the end of 2019, a 50-year lease. And um, at the time, the uh, state of Arizona and some of the owners of the Navajo Generating Station, they really thought that the Navajo Nation might reject an extension uh, of the Navajo Generating Station and continued use of uh, Upper Basin Arizona water uh, for the use at NGS. So they were trying to say, well, you need, Navajo, you need to agree today in 2012 that you okay. will not object to the Jason, we're, we're going to have to take a break. I'm sorry, but I'm definitely going to let you continue when we come back. Folks, stay with us. Nearly three months after the fact, family members of a young Native woman killed in a hit-and-run crash in Montana are awaiting answers. She's among at least four Native people killed on Montana roads with no arrests or charges forthcoming. We'll hear what's known about the cases on the next Native America Calling. OCO, calling all warriors. It's time for self-care. Men or warriors all deserve a chance to be at their best to protect their loved ones. For more information, visit go.cms.gov slash men's health checklist. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're talking about tribes' water rights in Arizona. A new report by ProPublica and High Country News highlighted the extreme difficulty tribes face when negotiating water rights with the state. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. If you are an Arizona resident and you are facing challenges with access to water, if you live on the Navajo Nation and you know this experience firsthand, please, we'd love to hear from you today. 1-800-996-2848. Let's get some calls going, folks. We've got the phone lines open for you. Jason John is on the line. He's the director of the Navajo Department of Water Resources. Jason, before break, you were talking about uh, the Navajo Generating Station. And, and please explain to our listeners what that has to do with water rights for the Navajo people. Yeah, um... Back in 2012, when the Navajo Nation was trying to settle uh, the Arizona water rights again, and it was mainly for the Little Colorado River Basin at this point because um, 
the Western Navajo pipeline was too expensive and we came back without it. And we thought we could settle other portions of Arizona water rights later. But in the accompanying um, congressional legislation for that 2012 settlement, Senate Bill 2109, had that language about the tribe not objecting to the continued use of water for Navajo Generating Station after 2019. And that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, but of course, looking back at it now, it was all moot because NGS ended up shutting down anyway. Uh, and that announcement was made around 2016. Um, so uh, yeah, we and we and to this day, we're trying to still have discussions with Arizona about water rights. But the the mega drought that has been occurring. Um, has really made it more difficult because Arizona has the lowest priority water rights um, compared to California and other states. So they're not really um, looking forward to having discussions about settling water rights at this time. And so it's, it's gonna be pretty hard to get them back to the table to have those serious discussions. Okay. Thank you, Jason. I want to go back to Mark. And uh, so this issue there with the Navajo Nation and specifically this medical center there, that's just one part of the story. And the, what the report really does is you outline just so many of these other issues. I, in one case, Arizona legislators attempted to pass a law that would prevent tribes from renewing gaming licenses if they had unresolved water rights litigation with the state. Uh, also issues with tribes who want to put land into trust and, and those projects, those efforts being uh, stalled because of pending water rights litigation. So, I mean, you documented a pattern here, a long pattern, both Mark, you and Umar. Tell us a little bit more about why this is so dire. Well, exactly. I think that's the key point there, right, is that these water rights negotiations are supposed to be negotiating water rights. And yet the state of Arizona has made the decision and made an actual written down policy in, in some of these kind of what we're calling policy riders to, to, to bring in all of these unrelated things. Um, and I guess in some way there might be a defense to be made saying, hey, you've got all these parties at the same table, we might as well deal with some stuff. But in terms of that example uh, that you brought up, HB 2447, which was a, a bill that all of the uh, Republican leadership in the state legislature uh, put forth in 2020, saying, um, you know, tribes cannot renew or get gaming licenses if, you know, they have outstanding litigation with the tri or excuse me, with the state over their water rights. And when my team saw that, we kind of scratched our head and said, how is this, how is this related? How is this part of a water issue? Uh, and especially the way that it works uh, in the Colorado River Basin, especially is when you negotiate your water rights, you also typically negotiate the funding, uh, like Jason was talking about, for the projects that actually get clean, potable water to communities and medical centers and uh, businesses and households and all that sort of thing. So, so if you stall that process, you're also stalling development, you're stalling growth, you're stalling uh, just kind of public health, um, you know, the public health benefit of getting clean water. And so when, you know, when you put, when you tie that to gaming, when you tie that to 
taking land into trust. Um, you know, then then the downstream implications of fighting over a casino become someone on the Navajo Nation doesn't get access to clean water in their home, which mm-hmm. seemed like two things that really should not be tied. There were even issues during the pandemic when the tribe desperately needed water and they faced struggles because of some of these issues with the state, did they not? Exactly, and that might have been maybe the most egregious example we found of there's a multi-billion dollar uh, pipeline project that the federal government is building the Bureau of Reclamation to bring water from the San Juan River in New Mexico to uh, various communities in the Navajo Nation uh, more in New Mexico, but a little bit in, uh, but also communities in Arizona, um, bringing water to uh, to Gallup, New Mexico, bringing water to the Hickory Apache, and uh, and at the height of the pandemic, uh, leadership from the Navajo Nation, um, the president and vice president at the time, wrote to Governor Ducey and said, "Can you help us, uh, you know, work this out so that water, which is supposed to go to Window Rock and and." And that area just over the border to make sure that it can get to that area and we can get clean drinking water for our communities there. Uh, and the reason they had to ask Ducey for that was because the state of Arizona years ago had inserted into a federal law clause that said that essentially what it said was that pipeline's not bringing any water over the state border until you finish your negotiation with us. And so the height of the pandemic, <coughs> excuse me, at the height of the pandemic, you can see what that would have meant uh, for these communities that, that were hoping to get that water. And so it was just kind of another example of how the state of Arizona was saying, you know, play ball our way, or we have all, all these other levers that we're not afraid to pull. Now, Mark, I want to ask you this, and if you'd rather have another guest respond, that's fine. But I think it would help our listeners if, because we're hearing about what sounds like these really egregious efforts by the state to to block these tribal these tribal nations and their their access to water. But can you explain how water negotiations with the state work? Like, for example, with a town or a city in Arizona, or even a corporation as opposed to a tribal nation? Because I would imagine it works, it's easier for them, right? That's the whole basic, it's it fast. It's faster, it's more efficient. How does it work when compared to a tribe? And why is there this huge, huge impasse there when dealing with a tribal nation as opposed to other residents and communities in the state of Arizona? Sure, in short, the, the tribal water system is its own unique thing that could be a massive, that could be the biggest benefit the tribes in the Southwest uh, have because there there are certain rules in the complicated kind of uh, Western water law world that don't apply the same way to tribes as they do certain restrictions, and that don't apply the same way to tribes as they do to, to other communities. So it could be, and we've seen a, a few tribes uh, in the basin get tens of millions of dollars of uh, of investment for infrastructure. We've seen them get huge quantities of water that they are leasing and making money off of or they're irrigating fields and things like that. So it, it really could be maybe the biggest benefit to tribes. Um, but because of this complicated system, for many of them, it's, it's just such a slow process. Whereas if, you, if you're a developer or a farmer or just someone who's not in Indian country, you don't need to go through the same process. Um, maybe you can buy water outright from the market. Maybe you're in rural Arizona and can just tap the aquifers because there really are essentially no rules for how much water you can take in that in that regard. 
um, or you know, perhaps you live in Phoenix like I do, and you just get water delivered uh, via the Central Arizona Project, um, which it was federally funded and um, you know, or excuse me, federally constructed and and brought water to many non-indigenous people uh, in the metro centers of Arizona. So there, it's it, it's almost taken as a given that if you are a uh, if you're in a major city or if you are in a major uh, farming district in, in Arizona, that there are ways to get water via the market, via government support, what have you, whereas uh, tribes face this much more daunting process that has a hu- huge upside, but that huge upside is so often stalled through these uh, through these difficult negotiations. Okay, thanks, Mark. Omar, back to you. What has been the reaction since your story was published? What kind of feedback are you folks getting? Um, you know, folks that are uh, in kind of the water uh, water law expert arena are kind of happy with it. Uh, and, you know, just because it's a pretty complicated topic um, to have it put together. But we haven't heard so far from the, you know, the folks that we are hoping it has an impact on. We haven't heard from uh, the, the governor in Arizona. We haven't heard from Arizona legislators, uh, you know, lawmakers. Um, and and you know we're we're kind of waiting to see what what happens with that. Um, when you know when a new Democratic governor was elected in Arizona, a lot of the tribe uh, tribal leaders that we've been talking to told us that they were quite optimistic um, that you know some of these policies would change. Um, so so far I haven't heard of anything like that happening, and so we're kind of waiting on that impact. Okay. Now, Omar, earlier we heard Jason mention that Arizona has the lowest priority water rights compared to other states. So it sounds kind of like, it, you know, stuff rolls downhill, right? They're, they're having to deal with, they're getting preempted by California. They're getting preempted by these other states. I mean, is there any, I mean, could you look at, is any of what Arizona is doing, I mean, can it be justified based on some of the challenges that they're facing as a state as well? Um, I think, it, you know, it, they do make that case that, you know, we, we are already kind of over allocated um, in terms of Colorado River water. Um, and if there's a drought, we're going to have to start cutting other things, whether that's, you know, um, trying to get people in cities to use less water or people that are farming to get uh, use less water. Um, but I think you have to kind of step back and take a wider look at things. Um, you know, uh, people that are living on Navajo Nation, like People that are living, you know, on the Paspayaki Reservation near Tucson, like that is their homeland. That is the land that they've been given by the federal government to build a permanent homeland on. And for them, it's not as easy as getting up and moving to Salt Lake City or moving to Los Angeles or moving to some other part of the country. Um, it's not, it's not the same as you know, giving up your kind of connection to this land. In many cases, a sacred connection to a land. Um, so, you know, Arizona can say that they need, they need to pull all these strings and they need to do all these, um, all the, all these, you know, tough negotiations and stuff to ensure water for folks living in Phoenix or, or Tucson. But I think of it kind of as a more bigger picture, like, you know, at the end of the day, the land and the connection to it is more important for tribes to maintain. Thank you, Omar. I want to go to Andrew now, and he is assistant professor in the School of Geography, Development, and Environment at U of A down in Tucson. And Andrew, I, I mean, at the heart of this issue is this burning question, right? Is there enough water in Arizona to support a population of over 7 million people? So, 
I mean, it just seems like there's just not enough to go around. Is, is there a solution? I mean, because even if, you know, Navajo Nation can get this clinic, this new medical center opened up and some of these issues, I mean, at the end of the day, there's still going to be a shortage of water, isn't there? Uh, hi. Yeah, I just wanted to um, thank the, uh, the earlier participants uh, for their comments. Um, yeah, so the question about water scarcity is an important one. And, you know, the question you had was there's uh, so many people here in Arizona. The main use isn't going to people or towards potable or drinking water. It's going towards big agriculture. And this is by design. Our whole water system is based on a logic of extraction and expropriation. And it's for a monoculture agriculture. It's for a idea of development um, that is defined against how indigenous people have been living here for centuries. And it's one that is unsustainable based on the industries it's trying to support. Uh, initially, it was for mining. Uh, a prior appropriation logic in our water code and our water law comes from a mining idea about making claims on the land, about using water for industrializing purposes. And that goes to the heart of how we make claims to water, even as tribal people today we have to make those same kinds of claims. Like we're using it for agriculture, we're using it for irrigation, we're using it for mining. So even when we get water, it's not necessarily going towards uh, continuing people based on uh, um, household needs or, or having drinking water. It's for industrial uses of water. And so that is the heart of the uh, contradiction of water use here in the Southwest and especially in the state of Arizona. There are a couple other things that you all were talking about that I think need to be pointed out. One is that uh, the part of the reason why we're having such a challenge getting water is we're the last people at the table to be ha have our water considered. So the Colorado Compact was signed in 1922 among the seven Colorado River Basin states, Arizona included. But that also includes New Mexico, California, Utah, Nevada, and Wyoming and Colorado, obviously. And so the, all these nations divided the entirety of the river to themselves, excluding tribes from those water claims. And that creates the adversarial nature of water litigation now. So when Arizona approaches tribes, it's as if they're getting their water taken out. The water that they have, um, have been awarded over time uh, through this Colorado Compact and what became the law of the river. So the whole system sets up this adversarial relationship between states and tribes. And there was this earlier question about, like, what is the difference when you're not as when you're living off the reservation, you're on the reservation? Well, when you are off the reservation, the state is fighting for your water interest. When you're on the reservation, the state is opposing your water interest. That's exactly what Kyle was doing when he was a senator. He was taking Arizona Diné communities and he was being adversarial to them realizing water in terms of how he constructed water settlement agreements, in terms of how he negotiated with the tribe, even including uh, a provision within the 2012 Little Colorado River Settlement that said we are renewing the, um, the coal-fired power plant for another uh, 25 years. It wasn't just about the water to the plant, it was renewing the entirety of the land lease. That was part of that deal. It was also agreeing to upstream diversions that had already happened in the White Mountains among like Snowflake and other communities upstream Little Colorado River, what we were agreeing to at the time in 2012 was any water that reached the Little Colorado River after these, what I characterize as extra legal diversions have been done. 
the versions that had been done in the 1880s by Mormon settlers, people who were operating outside of the law and creating water diversions, and then the state recognizes their diversions, but then works against any kind of realization of our water uh, needs and water and funding water infrastructure and all the, the things that you heard about um, over the course of this conversation. Andrew, this is all really helpful, really helpful, especially this history here. So we understand just how far back this issue goes. And obviously that area was a very different, uh, the, the, was very different just in terms of the people that were there, the type of industry that was there, you know, going back over a hundred years and now how it's evolved to the present. So I want to ask you some more when we come back from this break. Anybody with a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Summer vacation time is here, and you're invited to get to know Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Mariachi Spectacular Concert and Conference brings vibrant artistic, cultural, and ethnic mariachi maestros to teach and share the culture of the music and its history. Legends such as Stefan Carrillo, Mariachi Cobre, and Jose Hernandez of Sol de Mexico provide a truly unique and extraordinary music and educational experience July 12th through the 15th. The Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department supports this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling today. We're hearing about the difficulty Arizona tribes have in securing water rights with the state. Are you an Arizona resident facing difficulty accessing water? Tell us about it at 1-800-996-2848. Before break, we were talking with Dr. Andrew Curley. He's down at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And Andrew, obviously, there's, this issue goes way, way back, uh, many decades. And I want to ask, I mean, so you shared earlier that uh, some of these tribal nations were essentially robbed of their water rights long ago. So have there been any calculations or, or do we know about how much water tribes should have access today to be equitable? Um, I think that's a hard question to answer. The... Um... The, the reason for that is, um, you know, if you think about the idea of equitable, um, what is it? It becomes a question of what do tribes want? And if we're looking at how much land we can irrigate according to the logic of water law that exists uh, in the Colorado Basin, then that would give you one kind of answer. But if you're thinking about what do communities want and how they want those waters used, that might give you a different kind of answer. There might be a different kind of jurisdiction that that tribal communities want when i was doing research back in 2012 following grassroots groups that were opposing the water rights settlement they were trying to articulate a different kind of vision of the colorado river that was different from the way that water allocation exists today and even though it's undefined it is gesturing towards something different and i think that's what most of the residents in the colorado river basin are are coming around to accept that we can't continue business as normal, that the way that water is allocated, the logic behind it is unsustainable, and we're fundamentally going to have to rethink how we think about water. So, you know, getting back to this this issue of, like, equity, and, and one of the things that I point out in some of my research is the, the, the problems over time that this creates. So, you know, we were talking about 2010, 2012, but if you go back to the 1960s, when a lot of the water infrastructure in Arizona was built, you know, we were giving up water rights. When Navajo Generating Station was constructed in the 1960, late 60s and the mines were open in the 70s, we were agreeing that that uh, power plant would use 30,000, um, about 30,000 acre feet of water from Lake Powell for its cooling needs. 
Now, we agreed to that with the owners of NGS, and that allowed them to power the Central Arizona project for more than 40 years using that power from the Navajo Generating Station and by us giving up our water. And that was put into contract. That was put into lease. Stuart Udall, the former Secretary of Interior, was there negotiating that with uh, our tribal attorney at that time, Norman Little. And so all of that kind of stuff was being agreed to in the 60s, and it allowed Arizona to expand. And if you look at population, if you look at economy, it's expanded exponentially over those decades, which then has only increased the needs and demands of water. And now, 50 years out, we're asking for that water back, and we can't get it. Now the now um, we're we're having difficulty with getting the funding for the Western uh, uh, Water p- uh, Project or even making a claim on Upper Basin water uh, uh, um, water rights. Okay, well, thank you, Andrew. I want to go to Jason now. And, and Jason, earlier I asked Andrew, you know, what would be the the right amount of water for a tribe to have equity there in the state of Arizona. So I want to ask you specifically with Navajo Nation, what are what are your current water needs and, and to what extent are they unmet just across the whole broad Navajo Nation? Yeah, yeah, thanks. And that that is a complicated question because uh, you can ask that question to different people and get different answers every time. Mm-hmm. And the art of negotiation is trying to find a deal that will work, um, that will that you can take back uh, to the people and get their support. And we were able to do that in New Mexico and Utah. But if you look at the New Mexico and Utah settlements or Navajo, that included a large amount of water that could be used for irrigation. And in New Mexico, that looks like over over 300,000 acre feet a year year to deplete in New Mexico uh, for the Navajo Nation. And in Utah, that is about 80,000 acre feet per year that we could deplete from the Colorado River system, the San Juan River. But when you look at Arizona, it doesn't look that way. It's a, it's a totally different picture. But, um, but that's where most of our population is. And if you try to um, make the water rights in Arizona look like the way they, the way they look in New Mexico or Utah, where we have direct access to the San Juan River, uh, we don't have direct access to the Colorado River. Uh, There's the National Park Service boundary and things like that. And then there's elevation challenges. Um, We have Lake Powell, but that's not, um, that's a federal facility. Um, So there are challenges that, that make it different. And so the calculations on what is needed look different as well. We're trying to make a permanent homeland and we're trying to project what those needs are going into the future uh, for survival and economic development and growth to make it a permanent homeland. 
But if you look at the settlements that were proposed in the past, um, in 2010 and 2012, the uh, amount of water that were being looked at from the Colorado River system were only in the tens of thousands, not, not hundreds of thousands, as they are in New Mexico and Arizona. So the discussions about what, um, what people think is right versus uh, the challenges of the, the, uh, the water situation in Arizona, there is such a large gap. Um, okay. Some people might think millions, but the reality is it's only been, discussions have been in the tens of thousands in the previous two settlements. So it's really hard discussions. Well, thank you, Jason. And uh, another interesting piece of information that the report uncovered is that other states uh, have created uh, entities that are, are much easier to work with, are much more focused on, on getting deals done. So I definitely want to ask one of our reporters that question as well. But before we do, let's talk to Mike, who is listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on KUNM. He's a caller. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I have a question for, for everybody who's listening, and uh, it has to do with uh, how we use water in general in the Southwest. And I'm wondering if uh, if there's been any thought or any conversations about multiple use of water, and uh, in, in other words, using it more than one time, um, instead of just using it in a home and flushing it down the toilet or letting it run down the drains, could we capture that water and use it for farming, or can we use it to produce energy with green hydrogen, or any of those ideas? Um, I'm wondering, uh, what are your thoughts? Okay, let's have Andrew Curley respond to that. Uh, Andrew, uh, reusing or recycling water, is that a possibility? Yeah, I mean, Tucson has a really robust program of, of doing this and um, encourages homeowners and others uh, um, using brown water and reusable, uh, not using brown water, but creating multiple uses water at the home. The problem is that we're still under this, this division of water at the state and regional level with the Colorado Compact and then the different agreements between the lower basin states and the upper basin states that just allocate the entirety of the river, um, which then allows for the diversions for municipal use and, and then you can start to reuse water like that in your municipalities, but the larger structure of water allocation is still very unsustainable. And I think that's kind of the larger issue we have to deal with first. Thank you, Andrew. I want to go back to to Mark now. And, and Mark, in uh, the report that you and Omar put together, um, some of this also has to do with how tribes are able to to negotiate with the state of Arizona. And in many cases, they, they have to navigate the state's court system. And it just, they've, they've got a lot of infrastructure, their legal infrastructure in place in Arizona that makes it much harder for states uh, fighting some of these water rights issues than neighboring states. Can you talk about that? Exactly. You know, in the story, we, we talked about the example um, of the, the only tribe in Arizona, the 22 federally recognized tribe that has yet to file uh, any claim to water, which is the Kaibab Band of Paiute Indians, uh, kind of the Arizona Strip area north of the Grand Canyon. And, you know, I asked them how, you know, why? Why do you still, why have you not even been trying? And their attorneys and she said, well, let's walk through what that would look like. And that would be 
you know, every step from going and finding every user who might have water user who might have a claim to the same water that they were trying to access. Uh, it's expensive uh, hydrological studies to figure out what the flows of this might have been when they when the reservation was created years ago. It might be a Supreme Court case because the water that they want to access goes between two different states. So therefore, you know, you have an interstate disagreement. And it's and so we're talking about all of those steps for a tribe with several hundred people. And so it was just such a monumental task. And so in the state of Arizona, uh, the there are two large water adjudications like that already in existence uh, to kind of divvy up the water in the Gila River and the Little Colorado River. Um, but in looking at those, and these are cases that are, are heard uh, even though they are cases between states and individuals and companies and sovereign entities that are tribes, they're still heard in, the, in state courts. And in Arizona specifically, these two cases have been going on for decades. They have tens of uh, thousands of individual claimants. Um, they're some of the most complicated and delayed and slow-moving um, you know, water adjudications anywhere. And these are the vehicles through which uh, tribes, you know, certain tribes need to settle um, some of their water rights. Whereas looking to other states around the West, some have set up commissions that said, okay, we're putting, we're, we're looking at all the tribes with water claims and we're dealing with everything and we're dealing with it as quickly as possible. Um, or, you know, have dedicated more staff, more judges, more experts in the water department to get through the studies that are needed, to get through the court cases that are needed, to kind of get through everything and say, let's actually prioritize this. And part of it is the, the state has prioritized negotiating, um, but has not seemed to prioritize uh, making this process quick or making this process efficient. Thank you, Mark. And, and back to Andrew Curley. And Andrew, going forward, um, do you see any any opportunities or any promising solutions, possible solutions that could solve some of these these crisis level issues there with water access for tribes in Arizona? I mean, the solutions that are on the table are, I think, the ones that were discussed and featured in the report and um jason johns had mentioned it they um, um that they were trying to put forward infrastructure funding for small pipelines near deal con uh, in the 2012 uh settlement um and um and it basically you know part of the problem with water access for tribes is also funding for infrastructure and that that's what uh johns was referring to and that's you know something that we can be talking about when we're talking through the settlement process is how what infrastructure we need prioritize and how do we get that funded how we get that built you know so there's not like a 10-year uh, lag um, delay on when it's approved and when it's actually becomes a physical project and I think those are some of the more immediate concerns that that uh, more remote indigenous communities have like the Navajo Nation ones that are like right near big infrastructure projects like Gila River Indian community, they just are basically negotiating the rights that they already have. Um, and, you know, they have, they tap into big infrastructure and what more remote communities need are the funding and the, uh, for, for certain kinds of infrastructure. Well, that's a, a really good point because Arizona, 22 federally recognized tribes, some are very large, some are very small, some are, are, are almost urban, very close to, to Phoenix metro area, some are more remote. So I want to ask you, um, Andrew, that begs the question, 
Do you know of other places, other states, other parts of the country where tribes are having this same kind of trouble getting adequate water to their communities? You know, I focus on uh, <laughs> on the Navajo Nation a lot in uh, Arizona, and um, and so I would, yeah, I, I might turn that question back to the reporters uh, since they looked at other states. Okay. Omar, please chime in. Any other water issues uh, yeah. facing tribal nations? Yeah, I mean, um, the Fort Belknap Reservation, um, uh, which was the original reservation in 1908, which um, sparked this Supreme Court precedent that is used now for, for, for tribal water rights, still doesn't have its full water rights settled. Um, so this is an ongoing issue in a lot of parts of the country. Um, but I do think that in a place like the Southwest, it takes on a lot more urgency um, because of the drought, because everyone is scrambling for, for access to water. So it's a much more kind of dire situation there for folks. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so many tribes there in Arizona, 22 federally recognized tribes, uh, as well as tribal nations uh, in Colorado, tribal nations in California. So really interesting conversation today, folks. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, this dialogue we've had, let us know about it. Comment on our Facebook page, comment on our Instagram, or better yet, download the podcast available on your phone, wherever you download your podcast, your favorite platform. Let us know. Engage with us here at Native America Calling. Even though the show ends, the conversation always continues online. So make good use of those platforms that we have in place for you. With that, I want to thank all of our guests today, Mark Olalde, Omar Farouk, Andrew Curley, and Jason John for fresh insights on tribal water access in Arizona. We're back tomorrow to hear about frustration by family members and others in Montana regarding recent hit-and-run fatalities. We'll talk again soon. by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Challenges to societal harmony abound. Trauma, depression, addiction. In Native communities, these challenges affect nearly everyone. 
The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers to address the needs of Native communities. You can be part of the solution as a peer support worker, community health worker, or a counselor with culturally relevant training from the Native American Social Work Studies Institute. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.